Okay, this isn't going to be easy. How do I tell this story? I'm sitting under dim, buzzing fluorescent lights in a bare windowless room, wearing a hospital gown that comes under my knees. The psych ward. Nothing about this is normal. There are people screaming. But I just sit there because I'm tired and I'm numb. In the morning, two paramedics who tell me they've been awake for 24 hours will load me up into an ambulance and take me to Lakeview Behavioral Health Center, where I will spend the next 96 hours. It will feel like an eternity of locked doors, ear hockey with suicidal 12-year-olds and numbness, but it won't be forever. I want to tell my past self this. But for now, she is going to be sitting alone in that uncomfortable bed, in the hospital, in the blue room, thinking. My name is Maya. This is Vox ATL. And here's my story. I should probably start with May 4th. 2017, when a little journalist with a big dream published an article entitled, A Self-Care Toolbox for Stressful Transitions. The opening sentence reads, Change is tough but necessary. If I could take one lesson from the craziness of being a teen halfway between a world that held my hand and sheltered me, and a world that expected me to wake up at 5.30 every morning, drink coffee, and show up, this would be it. As I graduate high school this spring and look to a future of more caffeine, independence, and quirky new classmates, I want to simultaneously drive through a long tunnel to the sound of David Bowie's heroes donning my cap and gown, and dunk my head into a vat of icy water and scream from the stress of it all. I think I am not alone in this, which is why I went in search of strategies for maintaining, for managing, transition stress. This is what I found. And I interviewed a bunch of folks mostly valedictorians who graduated from the high school where my grandmother taught, who, like me, had abusive relationships with perfectionism. The article suggested many helpful tools, like affirmations, community, asking for help. I was right to anticipate that the transition would not be easy and seek out ways to prepare for it, but part of that anticipation planted a seed of self-doubt in me that became this monster of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Graduation day was 13 days after I got my article published online. It was great. It was a dream come true. I gave the valedictorian speech. There were hugs, so many hugs, and flowers, and scholarships, and my family threw me a party. Then that night, I bawled my eyes out, because where the heck was I supposed to go from there? I can't say I was the most popular girl in high school. In fact, people often mistook me for my best friend who looks nothing like me, but at least I had Cloud as the senior that all the teachers adored. Who was I now? What was I supposed to do? And then, like a freaking steam engine, life just kept chugging along. What happens in the mind manifests itself in the body, if you let it. I closed my eyes and imagined my best friend from high school, who ended up going to the same college as me, finding more compatible friends, and drifting away. And in my mind, it happened. I imagined flunking my first semester and I nearly did. By the way, this is totally normal. In case you're a rising freshman and you're worried about this, this is totally normal. Anyway, I imagined my own death, but I survived. I'm here, aren't I? 
In the months after I get out of the hospital, I experiment a few times with taking a couple more pills than I am supposed to. I hold scissor blades to the inside of my left palm, but don't break skin. I once accidentally sedate myself for a day by intentionally taking too many anti-anxiety pills. How do I tell this story that makes up just one part of the smorgasbord that is my life? Do I attach a zoom lens? Or do I want more distance than that? Do I use flash? And if so, what do I highlight? What do I crop out? For October 17 of 2017, for example, just the one day, do I put focus on the first anti-anxiety pill I ever take, taken the night before my very first real party with alcohol and everything? Or do I focus on the extremely purple lipstick I pick up from the drugstore this night? Or do I focus on how the firefighters laugh at my panic attack the next morning? when I think I am dying? Or do I focus on my friend when she is here right in front of me acting as photographer of every dress I try on for this party so we can compare them later? When love and hate and insecurity and power and community and beauty and depression and pain and stress and fun and joy all exist in the same 24 hours and in the same body, how do you pick up the pieces and make a story out of them? I guess, in the end, the most helpful story for me is the story of post-traumatic growth. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress, but when you have the resources in place and you're willing to work with them, sometimes trauma can be the soil that you grow from. This is what I did, and it's what I continue to do. And it's the story I have to tell myself to get myself out of bed every day. With that being said, I don't know where or how I came across the so semicolon. Trend on Twitter and Instagram, you've probably seen it by now, where people are tattooing semicolons or just sometimes, uh, in some cases, drawing them onto their body to bring awareness about mental health. Now, this project is called Project Semicolon, and it's basically to provide help for people who are struggling with depression, suicide, addiction, and self-injury. Mm -hmm. Now, the philosophy behind Project Semicolon comes from the punctuation mark itself. A semicolon is used when an author could have chosen to end their sentence, but chose not to. Did I find Project Semicolon during the early days of copious research about my depression diagnosis? Did I notice the symbol on some 12-year-old's wrist as we huddled over our coloring pages in the hospital? Or has the semicolon always been there, branded in my brain like an anthem, blaring louder than anything else? I used to see myself as a victim. You're too broken. Suicide is your destiny. No one is going to save you. I felt like things were constantly falling apart. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. There was no way I could survive the pain. You'll never survive the pain. But with the help of therapy, medication, and a mixed bag of coping mechanisms that included everything from random dance parties to Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana to making bad watercolor art, I did. And I do. And so will you. As soon as I woke up from my 16-hour nap induced by too many anti-anxiety pills, I picked up the marker in the floor of my bedroom and scribbled that semicolon onto my wrist. Deeper and deeper, like I could brand the will to live back into my skin, I continued to draw semicolons on my wrist every time I felt bad. 
Then I put a semicolon on a small piece of fabric to pin on my shirt, to paper, into my poems, everywhere. Unlike the comma, the semicolon allows for a short breath before we continue. But it is never the end. I'm 18 years old. I'm still just a wee sentence fragment, and the semicolon hangs there between all the amazing things I am and all the phenomenal things I could be. I haven't overcome anything. Nobody swooped in to save me. I saved myself, and I am saving myself, one day at a time, and I am grateful for every chance I get to be here. To play with my dog, to argue with my brother, to eat bad cheese, to drag my best friends onto the ice skating rink even though they really don't want to. Your emotions and thoughts are a natural part of you, even the scary ones. So to try and silence them would be like amputating a limb. But your emotions don't get to control you. You are here. It's your choice to get into that studio, to trust your voice and what it has to say, and press record.